there, I am Elena Hillard, one of the hosts of Televisionary. My co-host Cody Hoffman is not with me today and doesn't know that I am recording this. So Cody, when you hear it, I hope you like it. I am checking in with all of our listeners today to first say thank you. Thank you so much for listening to season one of Televisionary. This podcast was a long time in the making and any support we can get, we appreciate. I also wanted to let you guys know the status of where we're at. So all of our full-length episodes are out for season one, and during our off-season, we will still be releasing mini-sodes every Friday for you to enjoy, and season two will hopefully be coming later this year. I don't know if everyone listening knows this, but I work a full-time job and have done all of the editing and most of the social media stuff for our podcast, the technical stuff, and Cody works a full-time job and is in grad school and does most of the research for our episodes. So we just need a little time to compile all of our facts, all of our research, all of our opinions to watch some of the TV shows that we're going to be talking about. I think the shows we've picked for our next season are super captivating and compelling and definitely are going to be something that you're going to want to listen to. Today's episode is our extras episode. So basically, in the many hours of editing I had a lot of stuff hit the cutting room floor, so to speak. This is some of the best of that. Things that were still entertaining or fun or cool facts about some of the shows that we talked about that just like didn't directly relate to the episodes or were cut for reasons of length. So the first extra you're going to be hearing is from our American Idol episode where Cody and I talk about the little known reality show Nashville Star. It is, and I feel like None of these other shows, I mean, I could be wrong, but have produced any success stories. No. I mean, Nashville Star is the only one that I can think of that really had anyone lasting come out of that. Miranda Lambert finished third on the first season of Nashville Star. Oh my God. For anyone who does not know me, I love Miranda Lambert (laughs) so much. She is my favorite person in the whole entire world. So I am so glad that she was on Nashville Star and that led to her record deal so that she could, you know, become my favorite person. My second favorite person is Casey Musgraves, who also was on Nashville Star. She wow. finished seventh on season five of that show and then like didn't get a record deal directly from the show, but worked in Nashville for a little while as a songwriter. Ended up writing Miranda Lambert's hit Mama's Broken Heart. She wrote that for herself, actually, Casey did. And then Miranda heard the song and was like, that's mine. And (laughs) that's when Casey's buzz kind of took off. And she ended up going on to win album of the year at the Grammys. Hello. She is hugely popular in Austin. Oh, I bet. I meet people all the time that like, they're like, I don't even like country music, but I love Casey Musgraves. Yeah. It's kind of awesome. I love when people say that because I'm like, you know... Casey is country. She just does her own thing in country. Like if you say you don't like country music, but you love Casey (laughs) Musgraves, you're a liar because Casey is country. I know. I like it, though, because I think that she's changing maybe the perception, at least a little bit of country music. There's just so many haters out there for no reason. Like there's good country music. There's bad country music, just like any other genre. Yeah, so true. We don't need to talk about Nashville Star anymore. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I kind of want to watch it now. (laughs) This next clip is from our Mary Tyler Moore episode. We talk about Jewish members of country clubs. 
So our next touch point, this one. Okay. <laughs> so I I wanted to talk about this one just because it seems so outlandish to me that it, it would even be talked about on television. But I guess it was a thing that could happen. So in the season two episode, some of my best friends are Rhoda. Mary makes a new friend who will not invite Rhoda to her country club because Rhoda is Jewish. And there were clubs at the time that just didn't allow Jews, which <laughs> is is mind-boggling to me as someone born in the 90s. Yeah. I I was not aware that you could just be like, oh, sorry, our social club does not accept Jewish people. Sorry, no Jews. <laughs> I, like, I, maybe people from past generations don't have as strong a reaction to this as I do, but I just find it so odd that like they did a whole episode about this. Like I watched this episode and I was like, what? <laughs> like, how is that even possible? It is really bizarre. <laughs> and in the book that we read, don't they say that this is like their least favorite episode of the series? Yeah, that sounds right to me. I think that they mention in the book that like this was the closest they came to being a show that was about issues and mm -hmm. It, it is one of the episodes that really fell flat and they were not proud of this episode in retrospect, if I'm remembering correctly anyway. Yeah, I think that is correct. And I was, I sort of thought the same thing as I was watching it. I was like, when did this, like, it's fine to reference Rhoda's Jewishness. Like, uh, you know, obviously that is a part of her character. And it's something that really I feel like the show could have done more of without making her a stereotype. I think that's, you know, the one reason that they kind of, they didn't go too heavy into her culture because they didn't want her to just be the Jewish girl. Right. <laughs> but I think they could have, you know, handled it in a way that wasn't, or at least handled this episode, if not her, you know, Jewishness, you know, in general on the show with a little less preachiness. It did strike me watching this episode that it <laughs> felt a little heavy handed, which was uncharacteristic of the show. It is just really bizarre that this was ever like a, an issue in our country, but apparently it, it must have been widespread enough if they did yeah. a whole episode about it. So I was actually just watching an episode of The Golden Girls recently as well, which it was an episode from, I think, 1987, 88, where there is a very similar storyline where Dorothy makes a new friend. Dorothy and all of the girls are going to go to a country club with this new friend. And Sophia brings a date who is Jewish and the friend realizes that there is a problem because oh they can't let someone with the last name Gutman into the club. And I was like, this was even the full 15 years or so after the yeah. Mary Tyler Moore episode. And how is this still something that happened at the end of the 80s? Like, it just made me think, <laughs> does this still happen today? Like, is this a part of society that I am just not aware of? Like, are there still clubs that don't let Jewish people in? It, it just boggles my mind the way that, you know, things were handled concerning ethnicity <laughs> in previous generations. I just looked up an article that was written in 1999 that said that even up until that point in time, even if Jewish people were allowed to be in country clubs, it's often just very difficult for them to join because of like this amount of like social networking that you need to get into them. And 
oftentimes they're not super welcoming. And so that, I mean, that was 20 years ago, but clearly that was an ongoing problem up into the 90s. And may who knows, maybe is still happening today. We are not members of the elite country club crowd. No. If any of our listeners out there would like to... <laughs> right into the show and let us know if this is still something that persists we would appreciate it oprah was our episode that had the most cut from it it was over two hours long and i edited it down to 55 minutes or so so these next four clips are all from the oprah episode the first one deals with oprah's avocado farm we also talk about the car giveaway and vetting the audience for that cody gives us a little rundown on australia's coffee culture and then we talk about a rainbow penis who wants to miss that <laughs> she did buy a whole avocado orchard because the price what? of avocados at the supermarket kept going up <laughs> Oh my God. She Funny. said that to um, Trevor Noah in a Daily Show interview a few years ago. She was complaining about the price of avocados. So she bought a whole avocado orchard that so she wouldn't so have to keep funny. paying so much at the store. Funny little aside that I noticed is that as gas prices rise, avocado prices rise. And as gas prices drop, avocado prices drop. Oh, really? Yeah, just a fun little observation I made. That is fun. Um, <laughs> is it because avocados are made of gasoline? Or I, have, I think it's just maybe, maybe one of the cases where correlation does not equal causation. <laughs> that could be true. Or maybe it just costs a lot to drive them from the avocado farm to places where people eat avocados. I want an Oprah avocado. I know. I bet they taste better than regular avocados. I'm sure the they ones do. grown on her orchard are probably <laughs> like the best avocados in the world. And producers vetted audience members by asking them questions like, how do you get to work? And like sort of transportation related issues so that they could handpick people who really, really needed a car. Huh. And that's part of the reason why the audience reaction i mean it would have been insane no matter what mm -hmm. but it was like people who really really needed it and their reaction was so insanely ecstatic and it, i just like i love that story i think that's so cool but i mm -hmm. also read that the people who got the cars did have to pay taxes on them which oh. kind of sucks well, I mean, the taxes are probably cheaper than buying a car would have been. Definitely. <laughs> I would imagine. Um, but that is interesting because it makes me think, if I was going to be an audience member on the Oprah show, and they are asking me questions like, how do you get to work? Like, I can't <laughs> even imagine, like, what would be going through my mind of, like, why do you need to know this? What are you going to do with this information? Is it even worth it for me to just come and sit in the audience? Like I would just be so confused getting that question. But that's cool that, you know, they wanted it to have the most impact for people. One I I just wanted to interject here um and say that one of the things I found while I was researching is that basically the whole trip was um a promotional campaign to make people want to go to Australia. And that's why they were able to give away all these free trips. But there was some like ho host of an Australian TV show or something that did like a ad like 
on the Oprah show for Australia or something. And one of the things that she mentioned was that well, it was all sponsored by McDonald's in this ad too. And mm. um, one thing that Australians love to do was hang out at quote, hip Mick cafes. <laughs> and I, so <laughs> Australians took huge issue with that because Australia has a very strong coffee culture and they would never drink McDonald's coffee. Like, wow, that's not a thing. Uh, so I went to Australia a couple of years ago and I was doing a walking tour of the city of Melbourne. And one of the facts that they mentioned about Melbourne is that the people of Melbourne so strongly resisted like um, the advent of Starbucks there that all but five Starbucks locations that had tried to open in Melbourne had closed. Like, I in love a city that. of five million people, there are five Starbuckses because they love their own coffee. Like, <laughs> and so they would never ever want to drink McDonald's coffee because it's just wow. like it's urine to them. There was um, a description of a rainbow penis. Hmm. Which I had never heard of, but it is apparently where you use a different colored, like like a red lipstick and then like a purple lipstick and a, oh. like different colored lipsticks. And then you like <laughs> do a thing to a penis. I think we all know what that thing is <laughs> without getting too graphic for the children that are listening. Because that was the issue with this episode <laughs> is that there were children watching and... While I'm sure there were real letters that were written, there are some pretty funny ones out there. One is just in all caps. The entire content of the letter is, Oprah is a sinner. Love it. Love it. Yes. And another fun one. You stupid ass Hitler wannabe. Let's see you fine Oprah for her show she did talking about anal sex and blowjobs. You piece of garbage for the religious right. Just wait till the election. You and your bonehead jerk-offs will be history. There's a lot going on in that one. <laughs> there is something... It starts out like very offensive and then ends like almost like Scooby-Doo. You bonehead, you bonehead jerk-offs. <laughs> I Love Lucy was another episode where I cut quite a bit. I mean, it is one of the most influential shows that we talked about. There was a lot to say, but we did cut quite a bit. So the next and final four clips of this episode are from I Love Lucy. We talk about the rights. We talk about Fred and Ethel. We go in depth on grape stomping and the improv level of the show. And then I talk a little bit about the Hanna-Barbera original credits of the show. Yeah, I don't remember where I read it, but I know that they later ended up selling the rights that they had to the film. I think it was like the late 60s, maybe, but they sold it for something like four, over $4 million, which wow. in the 60s was a whole heck of a <laughs> lot of money. But the show is still around today. Like how much more money could they have made off of the show if they had held on to them? It's just an interesting thing, I think, to contemplate but the world will never know and fred and ethel too like out of everything that i have watched it's just so much magic comes to the screen 
when they're there interacting with Desi and Lucy. I think the four of them together have such an amazing on-screen chemistry, Mm -hmm. which is so funny because like reading the background info, uh, the actors that played Fred and Ethel really didn't like each other very much. And actually, (laughs) the actress that played Ethel and Lucy also didn't get along for the early run of the show but by the end they were on great terms but to have all of that like outside drama but then for it to work so well together on screen it's just another way that the show was hit like magic you know Mm -hmm. yeah that's one of those interesting things that i always kind of find ironic about very successful television shows if they don't like each other but they are forever bound to each other because Mm -hmm. of the success of that show like i think of like sex in the city how kim cattrall and sarah jessica parker kind of hate each other but they will never be able (laughs) to escape each other (laughs) you know it's just interesting how vivian vance and william frawley will you know you will never hear one's name without the other really the Grape stomping scene. I um, read in Jess Oppenheimer's book. The script for that was like way tamer than it ended up being. Like Lucy and that actress playing the other grape stomper, like just completely went off the rails of what (laughs) was supposed to be happening in that scene. And like that's that has ended up being one of the most iconic scenes like all of that basically was improvised and went totally off script so it's just crazy that you know something unplanned like that had such a an impact on people yeah that scene has been i think probably performed in so many commercials and tv shows over the years Mm. i feel like i frequently see references to it today. I can't believe that was improv. But while I was watching stuff, I was definitely kind of wondering how much of the show was improvised and how much relied on scripts. But I Mm -hmm. couldn't really find anything like specifically talking about that. Yeah, it sounds like basically everything was scripted other than some of the things that Lucy would do when it was just her being physical. Um, because Lucy didn't really consider herself to be a writer. She didn't feel comfortable, you know, trying to improv, like improvise lines or anything like that so much. But she, you know, knew how to ham it up and go for the laughs physically. So that's what the show leaned on. Before we move on to some of the impact that the show's had, I wanted to bring up just very briefly the credits of the show, which I think are also an extremely iconic part of I Love Lucy, you know, the heart that Mm -hmm. always comes up. But they were originally different. I guess they were originally like a little matchstick couple of like Lucy and Desi as matchsticks, and they would be doing some sort of skit i guess not a skit because it's animated they would be doing some kind of scene that related to the sponsor of the episode but one thing that i thought was really cool about this is that the animation that originally aired was animated by hannah barbera which is the same animator team that created the flintstones the jetsons scooby-doo and like just seriously like scores and scores of other cartoons but they were uncredited because of a studio conflict. I think they were working for MGM or something at the time, so they could never be credited for the work that they did on the show. But I just thought that was neat because they were such a high-profile animation team. Thank you for listening to this week's mini-sued. Come back next week for more extras or whatever we decide to release, and we look forward to seeing you again for season two. 
Bye.